so many, there are so many interesting things going on in the world. I want to, tonight I'm going to read you some things. Um, it's material that would have been hard to fit into a regular sermon. But before we do that, open your Bibles with me to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. Let's start reading in verse 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. How's that for a sentence? That is my desire for you, that you be filled with all wisdom, that you know who God is, that you understand the eternal nature of wisdom. And, uh, you know, politics is fleeting. Individual ideas and concepts are fleeting. Uh, but God's Word is true. Amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, help us to have your mind tonight. And Lord, help us to uh, understand the battle that we're in, in Jesus' name, amen. You know, how many of you have ever heard someone say that the Bible's not a science book? You heard somebody say that? Yes, that's exactly right. The Bible's true. Amen? Uh, get a five-year-old science book. You know, I don't think any of us want a doctor who went to medical school 30 years ago who goes back and refers to those books. Everything changes. All that changes. God's Word never, ever changes. Amen? And so this is what we have to understand. We have an absolute and eternal truth. And here's the thing that I want us to understand. God created our mind. He knows how our mind works. He knows how to communicate truth to us. And how does He do that? He does it through the Word of God. He does it through facts. He does it through facts. He tells us to memorize facts, to learn the Scriptures. Is that right? The Bible tells us to walk circumspectly and not as fools, redeeming the time for the days are evil. What does that mean, to walk circumspectly? That's to walk looking around, to know what's going on around us. That's what today is about. This morning was about praying for our nation. Tonight is about being informed about what's going on in our nation. Um, I don't know how much I'll get to tonight. There are so many things to talk about. I, I want to read something to you. This is a book. It's called America Light, How Imperial Academia Dismantled Our Culture. 
by David Galernter. Um, he's a computer science professor at Yale. This just came out. I want to read something to you that I think is really interesting. I'll just read a little bit of it to you. Everyone knows that American civilization changed in the 1960s and 1970s. When President Obama's generation reached adulthood in the 1980s and afterward, the nation had altered fundamentally from the one in which their parents grew up. A revelation a revolution in American culture had transformed the landscape. Let's take a quick tour around this cultural revolution. Glance it over from outside, then we'll stop the bus and get off and take a look deeper. Before the Cultural Revolution, it was taken for granted that instilling patriotism was the duty of every U.S. public school. After the Revolution, ROTC disappeared entirely from the Ivy League, not to return until 2011. Before the Cultural Revolution, America was assumed to be a Christian or Judeo-Christian society. As Britain struggled against Nazi Germany in 1940, President Roosevelt said in a radio address, quote, Today the whole world is divided between human slavery and human freedom, between pagan brutality and the Christian ideal, unquote. Before the Cultural Revolution, police duties used to be described as protecting the citizenry from crime and vice. that interesting? See you in church meant see you around. Red-blooded American was used routinely and without irony, as in Hemingway and Steinbeck, our red-blooded American authors. Before the Cultural Revolution, this is so interesting to me, literature, music, and fine arts were increasingly the property not only of the rich, but of the educated middle class. When John Kennedy invited Robert Frost to read a poem at his inauguration, Frost's poetry was known all over the English-speaking world. Frost himself was a first-rate international celebrity along with other big league artists. A Hemingway or Calder, a Leonard Bernstein or Copeland or Picasso was respected in the art world, but all these men were top-drawer celebrities also. Today, virtually no one outside the arts community knows of a living poet, painter, or classical composer. Isn't that interesting? The culture's changed. The culture's changed. Um, and it's on purpose. It's on purpose. Uh, how many of you have noticed that we no longer have an informed electorate? We don't have an informed electorate. Um, newspapers are closing. Why are newspapers closing? Well, because of the Internet. Well, that's part of it. It certainly is part of it. But another part of it is people no longer trust them. You know, only 8% of the American people trust the media. Only 8% trust the media. The other thing that happened is long essays would no longer be read. Long articles are no longer read. Um, one of the struggles that we have with the Ancient Baptist Journal is getting preachers to read. People don't read anymore. If they can't get it in a blog, just a, a couple of paragraphs, if they can't read it in Twitter, it's gone. It's gone. That's where our culture is headed now Try to get people to understand and comprehend the Word of God. Do you see how Satan? You see how Satan is becoming effective in attacking the American mind. We have to learn how to pray for our country. Um, now we have school. How many of you are school teachers? Raise your hand. School teachers. Have you heard of Race to the Top or Common Core? Heard Common Core curriculum? I want to talk to you about a little bit about that. Um, 
Do you know who one of the fathers of the Race to the Top and Common Core curriculum is? Anyone heard Bill Ayers? Weather Underground? Students for a Democratic Society? He was a, a Marxist. He and his wife, uh, or common-law wife, um, Dorn, what's her first name? Bernard, Bernadine? Bernadine Dorn. Part of the Weather Underground. They wrote a book, um, and they dedicated that book to Sirhan Sirhan. How many of you know who Sirhan Sirhan was? How many of you don't know who Sirhan Sirhan was? Look at, look at this generation of young people. He is the man... How many of you have heard of Robert Kennedy? You've heard of John F. Kennedy. Robert Kennedy was his brother. He was running for president. He was the attorney general. And Sirhan Sirhan shot him. And that's who Bill Ayers dedicated his book to. It's amazing, isn't it? And Bill Ayers launched our president's political career from his house. He has been in the White House more times than people can count. This is a, he's an unrepentant terrorist, um, murderer. Okay? We, we, this stuff, you know, and people say that it was hashed out over the last election. No, it wasn't. Maybe on conservative radio. But most people don't know who this is. They don't know who these people are. And uh, so I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, Race to the Top and Common Core Curriculum. And we all need to know this. This is boring. What I'm going to tell you tonight, I'll just tell you up front, it's boring. But you're not going to hear it anywhere else. And uh, you, need to, you need to get some of this. Um, decide where to begin. Um, race to the top, this, that's the president's education plan required that states commit to yet-to-be-written Common Core standards in math, English, language arts. Today, Common Core has the support of Randy Weingarten, president of the American Federation of Teachers, and was included in the platform of the Democratic National Convention. It was embraced by former Republican Florida Governor Jeb Bush, much to the consternation of Tea Party groups, who see this as an unconstitutional federal takeover of education. The Republican Party is divided. Now, why is the Republican Party divided? Because you have Socialist Party R and Socialist Party D. And that's the significance of the Tea Party. The Tea Party has tried to bring fiscal common sense to both parties, and they really have helped the Republican Party by running against incumbent Republicans in primaries and defeating them. And so we're getting some common sense uh, fiscal and uh, moral conservatives back into the Republican Party, much against or much to the chagrin of the Republican leadership like Jeb Bush. You know, when Jeb Bush was interviewed at the Republican convention and people like um, Chris Matthews are talking about how even-headed he is, that means that we don't like him. Amen? And so this common core curriculum, I'll make sure that all of you teachers know where to find this information. 
that, I'm, that I have here. Because here's the problem. None of us are going to be able to escape it. There are going to be national standards, national testing standards, that all of our children are going to have to pass in order to be able to, to participate in society, to be able to get into college. The common Core Curriculum. And now, how many of you think that someone like Bill Ayers has our children's best interests at heart? No. No. Now, several people are waking up to it. Um, here's a question that someone wrote. Or let, me, let me just read this to you. Emmett McGrady and Jane Robbins, in their white paper, quote, Controlling Education from the Top, Why Common Core is Bad for America, unquote, described the pressure of the sleight of hand that led governors to sign on to a commitment that was then changed before the ink had fully dried. They reveal that rather than being a state-led reform initiative as touted, the new standards were written by a few well-connected but non-qualified education entrepreneurs. The history goes back decades, but in most recent phase, the vision for Common Core was set in 2007 by the Washington-based contractor Achieve, Inc., in a document entitled Benchmarking for Success. The question is, why was Bill Ayers keynoting a conference attended by the two highest officials in the Education Department and by Achieve, essentially the project manager of the nationalized education curriculum? Because Bill Ayers' philosophy is the foundation for the Common Core curriculum. So I want to talk to you about this a little bit, and I don't know how to to make it uh, exciting, so I'll just read these things to you, and you'll have to listen on purpose. Um, some states are waking up. Virginia pulled out when Governor Bob McDonald was elected. Georgia, Indiana, Utah, South Carolina, and others have begun the effort to extricate themselves. Now, you notice that Ohio is not in that list. Why? Because our governor is more in line with traditional Republicans than Tea Party Republicans. So this is stuff that we need to work on. Here's where this becomes so important. One of the things, one of the goals, and there's a new book by Stanley Kurtz called Spreading the Wealth uh, that talks about this. I believe Dick Morris's new book talks about this. But there's, this, there's, a, there's a move, and look it up, it's called regionalization. Regionalization. And this is an initiative by the left, of course, our president, by the left, to take over the schools and the communities through something called regionalization. Now, how many of you have heard that they're trying to help failing schools? You've heard that statement. They want to help failing schools. Here's how they want to help failing schools. They want to take the money from the suburban schools and give it to the inner city schools. That's how they're going to do it, regionalization. And so the idea is to have an equality of income for all of the schools so that there's no reason for people to move to the suburbs. Why is that? Because one of communism's great goals in the Communist Manifesto is to get rid of rural society. We have to move everyone into cities so there's groupthink in the cities. How many of you understand that people think and behave differently in major cities than they do out in the country? Why? Why? Look with me in uh, Genesis. Genesis. Uh, I believe it's chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11, yeah. Verse 1. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. 
And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make, t- make brick and burn them th- throughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city. See that? A city. And a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. So they're going to all come together in a high rise. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one and they have all one language. And this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us, the Godhead, let us go down there, go down and there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth And from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. And ever since then, Satan's been trying to bring them back together. You see that? So this idea of a global community, of moving people off of farms and into the cities, of closing down... How many of you have heard that they want to close down the rural post offices? Cutting off services to the small towns and the small communities. Why do they want to do that? Because the socialist agenda, the communist agenda, is to move everyone into cities. Why? Because then nothing will be restrained from them. Small town values. How many of you have heard of that? You know it exists. It's real. It's real. So these are the things that we need to think about. But you understand that, and some of you might be thinking I'm a kook, but this is what makes us look like kooks when we describe these things that they want to do away with rural society and bring us into cities. and all, But it's what they're doing. These people are so crazy, we sound crazy when we describe them. But this is what the radical agenda is all about. And this dumbing down of education. And you talk to any of our school teachers... You talk to any of our school teachers, the testing that is being required and the way the children are testing, are being tested, makes it almost impossible to teach and to communicate properly in the classroom. Is that right, teachers? Why is this going on? It goes back to to John Dewey's understanding of what he called critical thinking. Now... um, South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley said she would support a state legislative effort to block Common Core, which her predecessor had instituted. Education Secretary Arne Duncan dismissed her concerns about about nationally imposed standards. Listen to what he said. As a conspiracy theory in search of a conspiracy. See, here's what they want to do. They want to remove control of the school's farther and farther away from the local community and impose the values of someone else on your children. That's what they want to do. And it's what they've done. It's where we are. 
It's where we are. How many of you have noticed, we have noticed in our homeschool curriculum, that when children are asked questions on tests, many times these questions are not fact-based. They're value-based. The child is asked to give a valuation of a person or a subject. It's a very subjective answer, and then the teacher gives a subjective grade to that subjective answer. And it becomes very difficult for the children to know what the teacher wants. It's, it's very difficult. Why is that? Because what Bill Ayers wants to do, and I'll give you all the material if you all want to do some research on it. What they want to do is they're trying to move away from a fact-based system. The idea of having an informational test and having classroom periods is evidence of a police state. That's what Bill Ayers said. So class periods and having the children answer questions with facts, to have knowledge of facts rather than emoting about the subject is oppressive. Why is that? Why is that oppressive? Because here's what we're told. Here's what we're told. Well, some children and certain races look at information differently. And if we're going to be a global society, then we need to respect the way that different people learn. Now, here's a simple fact. There are children, there are some children with learning disabilities. Is that right? And so we do need to be careful how we teach a child with a learning disability. We need to teach in a way that helps that child to learn to where they can function properly in society. Is that right? There are how many of the intelligent people had learning disabilities? How many of the most successful people had learning disabilities? Many of them. Whether it was Einstein or Edison or many of these people had learning disabilities. And so it's good that we've learned to educate in a way that, uh, that helps those children who struggle with learning disabilities. Is that right? But to listen to the way people speak, more than half the population has a learning disability. And it's just not true. It's just not true. Now, let's, let's take a little test here. How many of you learn better by listening than you do reading? How many of you by listening than reading? How many of you remember better by reading than you do listening? Okay. So here we have a, we have a difference, right? So that's why the class is made up of speaking and reading. Is that right? So then everyone has helped. How many of you are more fact-based than story-based? You're more fact. You'd rather have facts. How many of you uh, telling a story, weaving a narrative, a story, helps you to learn a little bit better? All right? And so this is why we have math, which is fact-based, and we have literature, which is story-based. And the people who are story-based need to learn math. And the people who are fact-based need to learn literature so they can interact in the culture and understand society. Is that right? This is the way it works. There are not very many people that are great storytellers and also great mathematicians. They think differently. Now, there are some people that are both. 
I don't know very many, but there are some people that are both. There's somebody like Thomas Jefferson. That's why he was called a Renaissance man because he had the ability to do all different kinds of things at a very high level. Most people aren't like that. And yet, you can construct a curriculum and a way of teaching that instructs all of those people. How about this? We all understand. We all understand that people learn better by interacting with the teacher, by speaking back and forth. Why? Because you don't know something until you can tell it to someone else. Is that right? So we have the Socratic method where you learn by asking questions and giving answers. And everyone understands that's the best way to teach everybody. Well, then how did we ever get to the place where teachers stand up and drone on and the kids just sit there? Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? You see, something has happened to where common sense has left the building. Amen? We've got to do something about it. We've got to do something about this. Pastor Nathan can tell you, just Saturday, I, I said, with the young people, are you asking them questions? Are you making sure that they're answering? Are they speaking back? Are, they, are you having the young men give testimonies and teach lessons and, and speak? Uh, I told Jake, I said, one of these days I'm going to call on him. Here, let me help you here. Here we go. There you go. Awesome. I told Jake, one of these days I'm going to call on him to preach. Whether he's going to be a pastor, full-time minister or not, isn't the issue. Every man needs to know how to communicate God's Word publicly. Every man. Every man needs to know how to do this. Uh, when I was in school, we had to take a speech class. How many of you had to take a speech class? These kinds of things, we, we are... This is why when you hear people talk about what a great public speaker so-and-so is, whether it's Barack Obama... Now, look, I've got 10 friends that are better speakers than Barack Obama, public speakers. These people have never heard preachers before. Used to be the preachers were the most popular speakers in the world. <laughs> then there were men like Henry Clay. He's still known today for his oratory skill. All of that is gone. It's gone because it's Twitter. Uh, I was at a pastor's fellowship where we were told... It was the president of Baptist Bible College. And he told us not to speak longer than 12 minutes without including some kind of drama or video or something like that because people have been programmed by television commercials. And so that's the way that we've we, we got to be careful on how we communicate. So how many of you have been to a church in the last couple of years where they're doing all kinds of drama and there's all kinds of things going on, right? And I looked at the preacher next to me, Monty Trammell. I was sitting next to Monty. I looked at Monty and I said, have you ever kept young people's attention for 30 minutes? He said, I do it all the time. I said, me too. What's he talking about? What's he talking about? Uh, when I go to Missouri, I'll go to Missouri tomorrow, I might speak for an hour and a half. And you know what people will do? They'll say, I couldn't believe what time it was when you were done. Why? Because you're a great speaker. No, because when you have information and you communicate it in a passionate way, people want to hear it. They want to learn. They want to grow. And we're destroying people's minds. It's like the debates. Uh, speak for two minutes on the economy. 
and you just get to the meter. I'm sorry, you've got to stop. So you can ramble on. You never learn anything. And that's where we are as a culture. And this common core curriculum, I want to read a couple of things to you, what it's doing. Um, let's see. In English classes, or here, let me just read this to you. In 2008, attention was focused on Bill Ayer's past as a terrorist. This, Stephen Diamond maintains, missed the real damage, which was political. Diamond, a social democrat, calls Ayer's a neo-Stalinist, in line with Fidel Castro and Hugo Chavez, whose country Ayer's visited to make speeches about education, about education being the motor force of revolution, quote, unquote. According to Diamond, neo-Stalinism is a, quote, authoritarian form of politics which attempts to control and build social institutions to impose state control of the economy, politics, and culture on the general population, unquote. Ayers and his allies used the critical policy area of education and through four aims. They have four aims. Local school councils, small schools, social justice teaching, and payment of reparations through education spending. That's where we take the money from successful, from successful communities and move it to unsuccessful communities. Local school councils and small schools are efforts to escape modern schools that in Ayer's estimation are all about sorting and punishing, grading and ranking and certifying, and demanding obedience and conformity. It would be terrible if every child knew how to do math the same way. It'd be terrible if every child understood literature, the, the things that built the culture, that, that established Western culture, those, those documents and those pieces of literature, that whether it's the Iliad and the Odyssey or whatever it is, those classics of literature that help us to understand who we are as a people. It'd be a shame if they understood those things because that would make them conformists. You see where Occupy Wall Street comes from? This is the idea. It's being fashioned and, and being shaped by people like Bill Ayers. Now, let me read this to you. Um, former senior policy advisor to the Department of Education and member of the California Mathematics Framework Committee, Zev Werman, testified that the Common Core overlooks basic skills, lowers college readiness standards, and offers, quote, verbose, that's wordy, and imprecise guidance, unquote, while dictating that geometry be taught by an experimental method that was tested on Soviet math prodigies in the 1950s and failed. That's Common Core. In English classes, teachers will reduce the amount of time spent teaching their subject of literature to only 50%, then to 30% in high school. A move criticized by education reform professor Sandra Stotsky, replacing literature will be informational texts like nonfiction books, computer manuals, IRS forms, and original documents like court decisions and the Declaration of Independence. Documents like the Declaration, however, are taught in a manner that downplays their significance, 
Overall, students will be losing a sense of a national and cultural heritage that is acquired through a systematic reading of classical literature and study of history. Although the official rhetoric promoting these standards is more muted, the approach parallels Bill Ayer's pedagogy, and that's pedagogy as method of teaching. The replacement of traditional mathematics with conceptual categories lends itself to advancing a social justice agenda as Ayer's colleague Eric Gutzen does through his math education classes. The common core emphasis on having students simply explore original texts parallels John Dewey-inspired approach, the John Dewey-inspired approach which Ayer's favors of having students discover and construct knowledge. How can a student discover and construct knowledge? They need to be taught knowledge. You see? Then, not wanting to be beholden to outside, listen, not wanting to be beholden to outside objective measurements of students' knowledge, such teachers promote other more subjective measures like displays of deep understanding, higher order thinking, and the ability to collaborate. By all indications, the testing being developed now will use this kind of criteria. Um, you see, this idea of teaching students critical thinking, it's not what you and I think. It's not reading something and having a moral foundation and understanding the truthhood or falsehood of the idea based on a moral baseline. That's not what it is. It's you reading it and just determining. Describe, here's the kind of answer that, that they're looking for. What color would best describe this character's thinking? How many of you have seen a question like that? All the students, do you see this? All these students that raise their hands? What color? What color is stupid? <laughs> do you see how crazy that is? What's the right answer to that? It's completely subjective. And that's where objective truth, it's being removed from the conversation. Right and wrong. Absolute truth. That's where our country is. That's where our country. And now imagine teachers trying to deal with this. Teachers who have a backbone, who have a foundation of moral uh, uh, certitude, who, have, who understand right and wrong, who understand black and white, who do not want to have a nuanced approach to morality. And now they're required to teach this kind of curriculum and use this kind of testing. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Let me read this to you. Um, in August 2009, Harvard Educational Review, uh, in that Dar Darling Hammond, this this partner of uh, Ayers, who is who works, she this Darling Hammond. Um, was recommended by Ayers to be the Secretary of Education in the Obama administration. She didn't get that. She works for Obama and other areas, 
but she was in charge of educational policy for his transition team. So from the Bush administration to the Obama administration, the transition team, this lady was in charge of education. Um, so she gave a preview of new standards as she argued for deep understanding and advancing beyond the narrow views of the last eight years by developing creativity, critical thinking skills, and the capacity to innovate. New assessments... Assessments. Remember, we've talked about that. What is an assessment? There's only one definition. It's to give value for taxation. See, the assessments are placing value on your children. That's, that's what an assessment does. Um, assessments would use multiple measures of learning and performance. These would presumably emulate high-achieving nations that emphasize essay questions and open-ended responses, as well as research and scientific investigation, complex real-world problems, and extensive use of technology. Um, now, let me just read this again. This is from a 2010 Education Week article. Quote, developing an internationally comparable balanced assessment system. This is the same lady writing. She claimed that the new assessment system is designed to go beyond recall of facts and show students abilities to evaluate evidence, problem solve, and understand context. Bill Ayers, through his writings, likens the testing for facts to a factory or prison system and agrees with Darling Hammond's emphasis on criteria like, quote, student growth along multiple dimensions, unquote. Such buzzwords thinly disguise an agenda of replacing the objective measurement of knowledge and skills with teachers' subjective appraisal of students' attitudes and behavior. Now, this, this subjective appraisal of students' attitude and behavior, where this comes in is where the, when a, uh, we as parents teach our children to think in a certain way. If that group think doesn't go along, then all of a sudden our child is considered to have a mental illness. You, you understand that teaching creation has been called by Bill Nye, the science guy, child abuse. And uh, who's the... Uh, it's not Carl Sagan. Who's the other guy that... Uh, Stephen Hawking? said it, and then the other English guy that hates us, um, Dawkins. They said that, that it's, it's child abuse to teach creation to your children. Now, I understand where these... Now, look, when they tell you that your children can't have ketchup at lunch, that's where all of this is going. It's where all of this is going. The president can smoke. Is that right? Is that right? His wife can have hips like a linebacker. <laughs> but your kids can't have ketchup. Where is it going? No, no seriously. Seriously, where is this going? They're regulating the size of the drink you're allowed to have. They're withholding government funds if you drink Coca-Cola. And they're destroying our children with Marxism. They're robbing their ability to think. 
We need to know what's going on. We need to know. Um, I think I've frustrated you enough for one night. Um, look, one of, some of the things they're doing is the new curriculum will trash the FBI. Um, there's, a, there's a book that's being promoted called Master of Deceit, J. Edgar Hoover, and America in the Age of Lies. And that's one of the, the, the texts that our young people would be required to read. And it, uh, it has pictures in it. Um, Aronson pre- presents FBI Director Hoover as a repressed homosexual who exploited Americans' irrational fears about communism. Among the original documents that Aronson provides are photographs of Hoover with his friend Clyde Tolson. He points out for the benefit of 11-year-olds that photos of Tolson reclining in a lawn chair and fully clothed, quote, might be seen as lovers' portraits, but we cannot say for sure, unquote. When the simple fact of the matter is that Hoover was not a homosexual. Those were lies put out by the KGB. How many of you have heard that he was a homosexual? You tell a lie long enough and strong enough, soon enough people will believe it. That's what Lenin said. And that's what's being taught our children. Why? Because Hoover was a great fighter against communism. How many of you think that an anti-communist would be the enemy of common core curriculum? Over and over and over again. Here's another statement by this, that book. Hoover provided the security Americans wanted. Our beliefs about what was acceptable, what could be shown in public, and what had to be guarded in private shaped the secrets he could gather. It goes on and on. Another book that they'll have them use is um, they, they want the kids to learn how to do original research and critical thinking. So um, let, let me just read this to you. Publishers are promoting new core aligned materials. The American Library Association and uh, Patrick reads their literature and he, he shows me the stuff that's being promoted. And it's just unbelievable. But here's, here's um, they, the American Library Association directs educators to their book list, which offers classics suggestions from contemporary authors. More typical are categories like exploring diversity. Teachingbooks.net offers lesson plans and discussion questions reportedly to more than a quarter of all U.S. schools. The site also features interviews and blog posts by authors about the research process on favorite topics like the 1968 Memphis sanitation workers' strike. Publishers, Random House, Scholastic, and Holiday House are relaunching their teacher and librarian sites with information about the core. PBS promotes the use of public media in the Common Core, thus updating their educational activities. July 18th, Publishers Weekly had an article that notes that publishers are eagerly putting out Common Core books by adapting adult nonfiction books like Fast Food Nation for classroom use in a, new t- or in a new title, Chew on This. Indeed, they are following the lead of officials. One of the sample common core guides is for teaching the omnivore's dilemma.
Learner Publishing Group is publishing biographies on stars such as our favorite, Justin Bieber, the Biebster. While carefully adhering to, quote, core criteria such as reading level, narrative arc, and sentence structure, unquote, books are sold in clusters by topic because, quote, typically core authors want students to think more critically about what they're reading, to compare multiple sources in different formats, and to give more sourced evidence and less personal opinion in their writing, unquote. Presumably preteens would not be writing opinion essays about how cute Bieber is, but would rigorously be providing sourced evidence in their deep analyses. You see, the whole design of producing useful idiots, that's the idea. And this is what our friends, our friends in this room, this is what they're fighting. This is what they're having to deal with every day. This is our country. Well, it goes on and on. These are all things that we're going to have to consider and we're going to have to think about. Because if we're not careful, we're going to rob our children of the ability to remember facts. It's vital. It's vital. Um, so what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We have to understand, I have to understand, that it's Laura and me. I'm the one that's going to make sure that my children know truth. They know how to think. They know how to interact with ideas. They know Bible doctrine. They know history. Amen? I'll ask somebody else to help them know math. It's my responsibility. It's my responsibility. Amen? Teachers, raise your hand for me. It's not their responsibility. Their kids. They're responsible for their kids. But it's your responsibility to make make sure your children know things. Know how to think. And how does that happen? The best way to do this is talk to them. Talk to them. Are they going to know how to balance a checkbook? Are they going to understand these things? Are they going to understand the significance of the Declaration of Independence? Are they going to understand the, the significance of the Bill of Rights? Are they going to understand the, the significance of the Constitutional Convention? Are they going to understand the significance of the kind of man that George Washington was? You understand there's a moral equivalence in our country between Martin Luther King Jr. and George Washington. How many of you understand that there's a moral equivalence there in our country, the way it's taught, the way it's presented? Every city in America has a Martin Luther King Jr. drive. All of them. And he was a whoremonger. He was a communist, a Marxist. Reverend? He didn't believe in the deity of Christ, virgin birth, bodily atonement, the Jesus Christ atonement for our sin. He didn't believe in any of that. He's a hero? He's a hero? No. No, I'll tell you something funny. Um, you know, I, I preached a while back about Martin Luther, and I talked about his anti-Semitism, the way he hated the Jews. He wrote the book, The Jews and Their Lies. Well, Jacob was in second or third grade, and the teacher, part of the curriculum, was talking about Martin Luther King, Jr. And he said to his teacher, he hated Jews. 
And I think it was Tori. It was Susan. Was it Susan? And uh, so we had the teacher conference was right after that. And she asked me about that. And I laughed. I said, no, that's Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King Jr. I said, no, he was a lying communist whoremonger, but I don't know that he hated the Jews. Um, <laughs> that was a funny conversation. Well, it's good that you're here tonight for that, Susan. Um, it's our responsibility to teach our children. Do you see why the Do you see why the elections go the way they do now? How many of you will pray for these teachers? And you, you will take the responsibility to make sure your children know the truth. Make sure that you know it's no one else's responsibility. Um, I'm, I'm thinking about writing a book on uh, what your what to teach your children about the Bible. I'm going to do it by teaching my kids, write that down, teach my kids, write that down, and, and get it in people's hands so that they can teach this to their kids. We need to do that. Amen? Amen? We need to think. We need to pray for our kids. Pray for them. Pray for them. Now, I'll tell you this. Uh, when I did, uh, I went into the teen class this morning to ask history questions. Um, Frank was all over it. It was awesome. And some of these other young people were really good at answering the questions about what was going on. Uh, Jake did a good job, and, and some of these others. They did a good job, didn't they? And, and the girls didn't say anything. I know they're thinking, you always tell us girls to be quiet, then you get mad at us when we are. So praise the Lord. You know, uh, I'm thankful for our young people. I'm thankful for them. We don't need to talk bad about our young people. They are they're good kids. Let's, let's make sure that you have not relied on me to teach your children the Bible. And let's make sure that you've not relied on these teachers to teach them how to think. Amen? Now, if you have them here, I'll teach them the Bible. But you're the one that has to talk to them to see whether or not they know it, whether or not they believe it. We've got to converse. We've got to talk with them.